This is the measure of an episode. As you know, where it is our continuing mission to explore what makes Star Trek proper Star Trek. And I, again, I got I got nothing. And not just a heist, but it's not even that. And not just not just quality or crappy TV. And we do this with three criteria. Paul, what are those three criteria? The criteria by which we judge these episodes. Number one, is there science fiction inherent or at least explored throughout the plot of the show? Number two, is this science fiction novel or unique? I should say the presentation of this science fiction novel or unique in some way. And number three, is there some sort of ethical or moral dilemma presented by or presented to one of the one of the characters? Uh, I wonder if this is if every time we say this, if we say something different. It seems to be getting longer as time goes on and not shorter. You usually get better at it. We just keep getting worse at it. Well, because we're trying not to repeat ourselves. And in the process, we're like, and... Uh, um, the English language has not prepared us for that. Well, and, you know, we only have seven days to try and come up with a new way of saying it. And we wait until uh, we literally seven, the yeah, mic is hot. Do we have seven days or do we have about five and a half seconds? Right. <laughs> oh, no, we have seven days. We just choose to ignore that until we're on the mic and we're like, oh, yeah, we have to come up with a new one. Um, and I'm Jonathan. And I'm and, Paul. And this episode, we watched, well, we watched one, and then we watched two episodes of Enterprise. Enterprise, season four, episode 15, and episode 16. Episode 15's name was Affliction. Yes, we were supposed to watch The Virgins, um, but we did not realize that that was part two. So if you are the fan who is watching before you listen, you need to go back and actually watch Affliction because we did and you didn't. <laughs> so sorry about that. So the blurb for episode 15, Affliction, Phlox is abducted by the Klingons and forced to research a cure for a virus that is destined to wipe out the race. Reed is ordered to betray Archer. And Divergence is, while Trip comes on board to reverse the malicious Klingon modifications, Phlox and Antok find a cure for the virus that will not please General Kavach. While Trip comes on board to reverse the malicious... Oh, I see. Okay. I thought he was off board. Well, <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, we'll get there. I don't want to jump ahead. Right. Um, so it starts out very interestingly. The uh, it starts out on the Klingon ship, and with a targ on camera. Like I thought that was the first time we'd seen it. Turns out it's not. But I was I was very impressed that that the captain has his own his own little um what what's his name Porthos dog? I, yes, they both have their own dogs, right? And it it was amazing because it looked like the most amazing escape room set that like because it just has it just is sort of an orgy of blinking things that you know don't do anything <laughs> just uh-huh. and just it was so cool like I wanted to be I wanted to be there and trying to find a key for another lock to open to get me another key <laughs> to, uh, to open another lock just push all those buttons see what happens <laughs> and then ask for a clue. And they right. may or may not answer because they're off, you know, getting a soda. <laughs> well, uh, they'll just type something in random, like, you know, push the buttons. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> and so, I don't know, it was kind of a, a very confusing thing, though. It wasn't really an opener because it was all people I didn't recognize. Was I supposed to recognize them? No, you weren't supposed to recognize any of them other than the fact that they were Klingons. But, again, it goes back to the cold open being the main conflict. And I... <sighs> I feel like it did, yes, that was the main conflict, and yes, that should have been conveyed, but I don't feel like it was clear that the person was losing his ridges. No, I did not see that. I mean, maybe I should right. have, but... I went back to, I went back and watched it, and they were they were going away, but 
the camera work was it wasn't bright enough and the camera wasn't focused on the forehead enough for you to see that they were actually being removed and then so it's like it's literally 30 seconds and then they cut to the whatever diane warren song which every single time subverts any kind of drama or stakes or anything because it's just a crappy pop You're song right yeah. i didn't think about that and i feel like that's probably my biggest problem with it because the you know the, the song really when you get down to it like it's not a star trek song but it's not a bad song it's crappy um, in that it's it's misplaced it's in, right. a, in the wrong place for that is yeah that is exactly on. the problem because all of them end on cliffhangers of like you know the the tension has been revealed or the conflict has been revealed and then it's like, it's yeah. been a long road. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's it just. This podcast is turning into a musical, by the oh, way. Yeah. That's two episodes in a row. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be singing. And there's going to be a lot more. Um, I did write a song about T'Pol and, uh, and uh, Tucker. Trip. Yeah. Chip. Skip. <laughs> well, so then it cuts to Trip packing, which was something that I guess was handled earlier in the show. That he's going to another, uh, another starship called the Columbia. Yep. And he's having a conversation with DePaul. And once again, they have this very vaguely constructed conversation about we don't know what their relate, what the status of their relationship right. is or was. They Were yeah. they together and now they're sort of having this <laughs> like – this. that's why they're bickering? Or were they bickering it's because – they had to get out of it, yeah. Yeah, or, or were they bickering because it's the relationship that could have been that will never be now, you know? Right. It's like I right. can't believe you're leaving. We were just getting started. We'll never know. And the whole yeah. show is like this. Right. So far. <laughs> yeah. Unless you've seen the episode that is the linchpin between the before and after, none of these conversations tell you if it was before or after. <laughs> and maybe that's good writing. But it's just funny that all of the episodes that we've watched so far are in that weird gray area, that mm-hmm. weird limbo of a relationship where they've just gotten out of one or just are going to get into one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like... Han Solo and Leia from Star Wars, where their relationship is kind of a battling, fun relationship where they seem to hate each other, but they really secretly love each other. Right. Before and after they kiss, because they kiss like once or twice in the movies. Mm -hmm. And everything before and after that is just they're just kind of at each other's throats. (laughs) We don't know why. Uh, Okay. So then Phlox and Yoshi, Hoshi? Moshi? Hoshi. Yeah. Hoshi. I like Yoshi. Coming coming (laughs) out of a. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they bounce out of a movie theater and they walk down they walk down a dark alley and Phlox gets so abducted. I, well, yeah, but I, I want to talk about that for a second. I actually liked the conversation here. I know that it was filler, but what was nice about it was it was it seemed a lot more like about their character and about personal situations and it wasn't just idle chatter about the meal that they just went to or the movie that they just saw. Like it was you know, like they they were talking about that, but then she said something about like I, you know you're you're you should go to the the council or you know whatever, and it just it felt a little bit more that it was genuine characters having genuine conversation and not waiting for the next thing to happen. So that's because they probably wrote that scene well. Whereas in a, a, maybe a Voyager episode or even a Deep Space Nine episode, Flocks would have been talking about, well, you know, on our planet, we uh, shove the food up our asses, and that's how we digest. You know, it's like it's always going to be right. some orgy or some overcompensation of that. I'm an alien, and this is how we're alien. I'm going to tell you mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so yeah, so Flocks gets, gets abducted. And, again, I like here that Hashi was not just knocked out. Like, she actually did fight back and held her own for a moment there. 
rather than just being the the insignificant woman who had to be pushed out of the way. Right, and she's not even the the security officer either, which was nice. Right. Her train yeah. her Starfleet training uh helped her at least temporarily, you know. Right. Postpone the inevitable, but <laughs> <laughs> So then we cut to trip He's getting ready to leave. He's sort of giving everybody orders on what to do. Oh, no. He's already there. He's already on yeah. the Columbia. Sorry. And we I, – I thought to myself, this is very strange. Okay. Well, number one, uh, they wrote the Columbia on the outside of the of the ship. And I wasn't uh-huh. sure. Do they do that on the other ships? Yeah. They do. Okay. I was yeah. unsure and uh, too lazy to go research that. But all. the ships had USS on them, and there is no USS yet. Oh, Okay. They do have like a tail number though. It's like NC, right? Whatever. Yeah. And then I don't know if you caught it because there it is sort of this escalation of clues about the extra that was in the show, the captain of the Orville. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, he was just an ensign at this point, obviously. <laughs> he hadn't transferred yet. He right. wasn't the captain yet. <laughs> but I thought to myself, I was like, oh, that guy kind of looks like. Is that? That's where I was the first time. I was like, oh, maybe because it was sort of like a chub, Seth MacFarlane. Mm-hmm, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe that's not him. It's just somebody that looks like him because this is weird. I mean, I knew it was kind of like prime time family guy uh, right. for him. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe it wasn't him. That's That would seem weird. Although he is a Star Trek fan, but I don't know. And I, I kind of wrote it off. And then he's there again. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's definitely Seth MacFarlane. So that, that, was, that was the note where I was like, maybe – Maybe I need to start writing down my notes on this episode because I I already have quite a few and, you know, we're only we're not even five minutes into the episode. Um, but then the next thing that happened uh, with T'Pol and Archer, I was like, that's it. I got to I got to pause this. Like, I need to be at a computer typing up all my notes. <laughs> you mean doing your job? This is <laughs> Seth MacFarlane finally convinced you that you should be doing your job. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Peter Wigan. Is that his name? Peter Wigan? I don't know. Peter. Yeah. Family you mean, guy. Oh, family guy. Peter. What is his last name? Oh, God. Is it not Wigan? No. Higgins? No. I don't think so. Does he even have a last Dunvey? name? Dunvey? No. <laughs> I can't think of the last name. Peter. Yeah. Griffin. Griffin. There you go. Anyway, so then Archer and Paul they talk about Phlox's kidnapping a little uh-huh. bit. And Archer wants Paul to mind meld with Hoshi, and they do that, and they find Oh, no, no, no. They don't just do it. She's like, well, I don't know if I can. And then Archer's man mansplains and comes in as the white savior, you know, and he's like, well, I've had experience. Why don't I show you how to do it? <laughs> well, it worked, didn't it? <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah. yeah. And they find out that it's a Regillian. Regillian? Yeah. Which, all right, so I, I don't know how we're going to, like, handle this going forward if I am always taking notes, but... um. As far as the sci-fi in this episode, I was thinking maybe like the Vulcan mind meld is kind of important, but in this episode, it's just used as regression therapy, which is not sci-fi. Well, they kind of almost made it cool where T'Pol is when they relive the memory. She's in the memory. She's there. Yeah, that and was cool. She's kind of interacting with Hoshi in a way, mm-hmm. but but Flox just kind of doesn't see obviously but right that was kind of but they didn't do anything with it It just was kind of there i I was kind of this expecting to be something different but but yeah it was just sort of so she could see the race i guess or hear she could hear the language that's how that's how Mm -hmm. she did it which was kind of cool and then they cut to read and i i just I, i feel like i've had questions about this kind of behavior that he has where he goes into dark misty alleys moist alleys and has meetings with people <laughs> and they they set times to have these meetings and right 
and they don't talk about anything is like, well, you know, your duty, you got to do it. See you later. <laughs> it's like, you couldn't have text messaged this me. Like we had to like make plans to go meet in this alley for you to tell me that. And I felt like I couldn't quite understand what's happening, but it actually culminates in this episode. All of those weird dodgy meetings that he's taking, uh-huh. um, I think ha- happens again later. Cause I think we yeah. watched yeah something. Um, happens in Terra Prime. Yeah. Well, and for me, it was really nice because, uh, you know, for, for somebody who is, is familiar with Star Trek, they're going to know that this is Section 31. Um, and it was nice that they didn't say that until the second episode when Archer and Harris were talking. Bless you. Have fun muting that. <laughs> We've got another sneeze, sneeze coming. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just it – was, it was very cool that, you know, at this point they're like, okay, if you're, if you're this far into Enterprise – yeah. You are a Star Trek fan, and so we don't need to tell you this is Section 31. You're able to piece that together on your own. I guess so, but I, I don't know what Section 31 is. Don't tell me because okay. I'm sure I, I won't. I'm in yeah. for a treat. But um, I, that didn't, wasn't clear to me. Maybe that's because I'm not up on, my, on any of my Star Trek. <laughs> I guess you could say on my Deep Space Nine. Is that where that <sighs> – come right. on, man. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, it's first introduced in Deep Space Nine. Um, I knew it. I don't, I don't know, know it. if it shows up in Voyager at all, but it's a huge part of Discovery. Those are two shows that I have not seen. <laughs> Dude, you need to take some I know. new time. <laughs> right. So then uh, we, we cut to why Phlox was abducted. They want him to find a cure for this weird Klingon thing, and, and Phlox meets the first. <laughs> What's going uh, on? I don't know. <laughs> I need, probably need to take this toothpick out of my nose. <laughs> And Phlox, he meets the first British Klingon, almost British Klingon. Felt like that guy, he was doing, all, I, there's a point where I was like, he's definitely British. The guy, like the other Klingon <laughs> doctor guy. And then there were points where, right. uh, is he American now? Or is he just sort of doing a weird mid-Atlantic thing? It was weird to me. I never heard a British accent from a Klingon. It was very strange. Right. But they want him, so anyway, they want him to you know, help the Klingons. Right, and he's like, let's get started. But... Did you see who the the captain was? No, who was that? It was Uncle Carl. Who's Uncle Carl? From Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Oh, I did not notice that. Oh, uh, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I should have recognized him now that you say that. <laughs> right. My bad. <laughs> and then they come across like a destroyed freighter or something like that, and they have a re- it has a really good energy though. Like the music is doing a really good job where it's this sort of subtle hum of urgency. It's not like bah, 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 but it's like they're they're going from point A to point B to point C and they're just moving along. And I always compliment Enterprise with this, where they really get pacing well. And then they cut mm-hmm. to trip with the new captain of the Columbia, or the old captain, I don't know. And it just totally diffuses all urgency. They could have just kept going. And it, not only to find out that they could have cut this scene out entirely, that all they had, the reason this dinner scene is happening is so Trip, they can match cut with Trip saying, well, the reason I left is sometimes it's better that the people you work with are just colleagues. We get it. And then it cuts to T'Pol's dream. Right. And it just, you don't need it. Nobody knows or cares what's going on with Trip and Flocks <laughs> or Trip and T'Pol. <laughs> That's probably the problem. Like, it was just this weird love triangle, and Trip was like, you know what? I'm just going to remove myself from the situation. <laughs> yep. That's game theory for you right there. <laughs> uh, uh, Paul has her, what would you call it? Her, like... Her matrix room? Yeah, or the Harry Potter thing when Harry Potter dies. Spoilers. 
and he uh, mm. is in that room with Dumbledore or something like that. I don't right. Know. With two doors? Were there doors? I thought it was just a giant white void. I It sounded like you said double door. <laughs> yeah, and then Clint Eastwood walks in. There's like a whistling sound. <laughs> so saloon doors? <laughs> they were crazy like, doors. I'm here for my 3 p.m. petty. <laughs> oh, those are salon doors. Petty's not here today. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the heartbreakers are. <laughs> Nice. I'm tapped out. <laughs> <laughs> and the heartbreakers are tripping to Paul. Oh, nice. And you rounded nice. that out nicely. Like Michelangelo. <laughs> uh, speaking of, uh, Uncle Carl was also the voice of Shredder on Ninja Turtles. Man, we are just like reference after reference. Like, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> it's like the, it's the cinematic universe of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Star Trek, and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> Where were we in this convoluted plot line? Um, in the um, in the afterlife with Harry Potter and Dumbledore, right? Yeah, so that's and ba- oh, that's right, and Neo to Paul's Spank Bank, which is just a white boy Trinity, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that was neat was that they uh, that he references the fire planes, which uh, was actually mentioned in a previous. So this episode has a lot of callbacks to another episode, Home, um, and we haven't seen that one yet. I don't think I'm pretty sure not. Um, but for some reason (laughs) they watched that episode and they were like, oh, we can reference that here, here and here. Um, because they, they talk about, uh, T'Pol talks about the fire planes in that episode and then Trip mentions them again in this episode. Oh, I guess we'll learn about that later in the other. Yep. (laughs) Sometime between now and the next 12 years. (laughs) Right. And then the fun part. Cavemen in space. (laughs) The Geico cavemen, uh, attack the enterprise and, I, so I have a little bit of tidbit, tidbit, little tidbit of trivia for you. <laughs> okay. I was ty- in my notes. I was typing Geico Caveman, and I kind of I didn't really spend a lot of time because I do it while the show's on. And I typed in all lowercase Geico, and then I did space cave space man. And after I hit the space bar, after M A N, it auto capitalized Geico and capitalized caveman. That Weird. means and so. So as you know, there were the commer- the Geico this commercials. Right. <laughs> this is we're starting over. <laughs> uh, but there was also a spin-off television series that was wildly unsuccessful for some reason. Yes. Um, so that was enough for Apple to put that in their autocorrect database. <laughs> Which I don't oh, know my. if it was the commercials or if it was the I hope it was the commercials. Yeah. Well, those were the things that made me want to go to Geico, you know. So yeah, anyway, they have another good pay- a well-paced segment where they attack, they they run them off, they shoot one of them, and it's just I don't know. It was really nice. It was really well done. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. They they sh- what I what I wish they did, and maybe this is sort of a a prototype to a Christopher Nolan film. But you know how Christopher Nolan films are always they're just subtly kind of humming with urgency. There aren't a lot of scenes where it's just two people talking and nothing is is happening that's or is going to happen. It's mm-hmm. always like they're always kind of moving. They're bouncing along through the plot to the next thing. There's ne- it's never very static. And I, right. I like it when Enterprise does that. They have this style where there will be three, four, five scenes that are seemingly disconnected plot-wise but connected through the music and the editing. And they all kind of just blend together. And I love it. And, and I hate it when it comes to an end. <laughs> I want the whole episode to, to have that. <laughs> Um, yeah. And well, what's interesting too, is I, I feel like 
kind of what you just said. Like they, uh, it's just in scenes, but I feel like Enterprise those scenes just really nail it better than any other Star Trek. I feel like you know if we had to compare, like TNG would be like a seven or eight out of ten through the whole episode. And these scenes in Enterprise are just like nine or ten. You know, they're just they're just that much better. It's just done so well, but it's just done not as often. And so, I you know I still feel that TNG is better, but these scenes just make Enterprise pop. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it's I think because they're a little bit more modern. Yeah. And speaking of unnecessary interjection, um, the that moment with T'Pol and Hashi, where. She's talking about how she's having hot dreams about yeah, trip. She's having sex dreams about trip, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I like that T'Pol just like the scene ends with her saying, most unusual. But like it was it's a non sequitur. There's no resolution to that. That's the last we hear of it. And I kind of wanted Hoshi to be like, <laughs> you know, kind of high school esque where she's it's it's just a dream. It means nothing. Shut up. Like <laughs> you like him. Yeah. You know. <laughs> And I, I was unsure if, if T'Pol was nervous because her feelings were being transmitted to somebody else. And so she did, she did her privacy was being kind of... Oh, that's 100% what I inferred. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know if there was that or she's just jealous. Right. That's my guy that I argue with. I can't right. wait till we get to the bottom of this. Which, <laughs> I, I, I would love to know what happened. I mean, I know that we saw the one where they had a kid and the kid died. But mm-hmm. is that why they stopped... Were they stopped to stop being together? No, that was like the the second to last episode. So that is clearly not it. Well, they play with time a lot in this show, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Archer discovers Reed's subterfuge mm-hmm. and puts him in the brig. And I, I don't know. This is this this whole these two episodes. They have five to six plot lines going on simultaneously. <laughs> it's very confusing. I don't. Right. I like it. But it's like I, I feel like this was maybe three or four episodes smashed into a little bit. They were trying to cover a lot of ground and do a lot of homework. Uh-huh. And so it basically the episode ends with them, the Klingons, infiltrating the Enterprise's systems. And, and so it's going it's, to – they go into a Keanu Reeves speed. You can't drop below 50, warp 55, 5.5. Warp 5, right? I remember that when the bus was stuck at warp 5. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't go below warp 5. So the the argument in the brig though it felt it felt very soap opera. I don't know if you felt this or not, but like the conflict was legitimate and the conversation was like I didn't feel like it, it was hammy or forced or anything like that, but just Malcolm Reed like turning away from Archer being like I wish I could tell you more. Oh, no. Like it was so <laughs> well, and you know what didn't help was the the way they shot it because they used a lot of zooming. And that's a right. super – they use that all the time in soap operas because it's just easier and they need to get through these things lickety-split because they have to do another one. And mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so it ends on that cliffhanger. And, again, I thought it was interesting too because there – this – I guess I don't remember in like um, Chain of Command or Time's Arrow if it genuinely didn't resolve anything or – if they all like, if it literally was the first half and it ended completely on a cliffhanger with nothing being resolved, uh, because for for me at least with this episode specifically, like it it felt very much like it was supposed to be two episodes watched together and not with a cliffhanger, or you know, and not like not watch this episode this week and then watch the conclusion next week. Like it seemed like this was supposed to be like a big two hour event where they took a break, but it seemed like it was supposed to be kind of like encounter at Farpoint or, um, uh, all good things, 
you know, where it it's supposed to be watched back to back, but it's written and designed in such a way where it does have that specific break at the halfway point. Well, it might have been shown that way. They have two right. hour events sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, this is when it was UPN, so yeah. Well, and just kind of, you know, just jumping into the next episode, like this is kind of what I was talking about uh, off mic um, when I was saying maybe you should watch part two first because uh, like <laughs> my note says, can you imagine jumping in on this part two? <laughs> Tucker's off the Enterprise. Reed is in the brig. Vintage Klingon is listening to the conversation. They're traveling like they're stuck over warp five. It's just what? Like, <laughs> I feel like I missed some things. The blurb really underperformed me on this one. Right. <laughs> Um, and a quick side note, just on the back end of things, uh, the the Klingon in the brig was actually played by the guy who played Alexander in uh, Worf's wedding episode. Oh, interesting. Not Alexander all the time? Right. Oh. <laughs> that was his last name. <laughs> <laughs> he was Russian. Uh, you're not wrong, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander all the time? <laughs> well, right, but Alexander, like, Worf was raised by Russian parents. Oh, I see what you're saying. Got it. So the actor's name is also Alexander, (laughs) which is where (laughs) my brain was. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, But actually, this was probably the biggest uh, exploration of science fiction, this whole scene. Um, It wasn't like it it didn't really have much to do with the plot. Like they could have just said, let's beam him over. Okay, he's beamed over. All right, let's get on with the plot. You know, they, they took five minutes and had him zip line over to the other ship while he was while it was going warp five or whatever right and i, I it sort of was a little clunky to me i didn't quite understand because somebody says why don't we transport them and then that goes away i, I must have missed something why well they yeah like i didn't uh, he was talking about you know why don't we transport him and he's like i'm i'm the only one who can do this and then he just stands there and he's like you can do it you're almost there it's like, you're the yeah. only person who could do that? Yeah, why? Exactly. Why was Reed called out of prison to go do this? And why? I mean, and, and the same thing. Why was Trip? Why this, Why couldn't they just say, look, you just have to hold down Control-Alt-Delete and reboot the, the computer? I understand they had to pull some things out of a thing, but it didn't seem like they needed Trip for this particular thing. It didn't. Right. Both of them didn't seem like they needed to be there. Like, yes, they were. Well, and. Reed, not even the one who needed to provide the information, but Trip needed to provide the information on how to reboot the engine. And I guess kind of it makes sense. Like he would want to be there to monitor because he was kind of the only one who knew how to do it. But at the same time, you know, they they have video monitors and he could have been watching. I didn't get the impression that there was much they could do if something went wrong, you know, on either side. Well, and if something went wrong, they lost both their ships. Yeah. So... We don't really need anybody. He should have just jumped. <laughs> it would have been a lot more entertaining because he's sort of moving yes. slowly, but there shouldn't be any gravity. And so he should just be able to pull himself up very easily. And they were just kind yeah. of, yeah, they're kind of making it seem like his princess bride. Right. Yeah. Like, I, you know, that's, I was actually one of the, I was like, why is he, why is he moving so slow? I get that he would be moving slow once he entered the gravitational field in the enterprise, you know, cause he's got to pull himself up at that point. But before that, when he's traveling between the two, there's zero gravity. Yeah, it felt like they had this great concept and it could have been executed a little bit better. You know? And then just bringing Reed out and then they talk to him in the, the captain's quarters again. Um, I was really curious to see how they were going to keep him on board because, you know, at this point, Archer doesn't trust him at all. 
And so, you know, I was I was very curious to, in the second part to see how they were going to to resolve it. And I like it, it, I wasn't very satisfied with it because Archer was kind of like earlier. He says, you uh, Reed says, you have my word. And he's like, your word doesn't mean a whole lot. And then Archer is like, you need to give me your word that your that your loyalty lies with me. Yeah. And so why are you asking me if my word doesn't mean anything? <laughs> right. You asked me, a-hole. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. But when uh, when the captain of the Columbia and the Enterprise were talking, um, you know, and she says, like, I need you to be fast. It would have been nice if they put in some, like, double entendres or sexual chemistry, you know, or type thing where she's like, I need you to be fast. And he's like, that's not my normal request or something like that. Yeah, well, the problem, I mean, that would have been appropriate because I felt like the captain of the Columbia was super flirty all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was just her acting style or if that was actually written into something because she was flirty with Trip because she asks him out on a date to dinner the first time he's there. Right. I understand that that's probably not how it was written, but I feel like she plays it super. She's flirty with Trip. She's flirty with Archer mm-hmm. in every scene. And I, yeah. was I was that was I misreading it? No. That's how I felt she was conveying it. Yeah. And again, just going back to the the home episode, uh, Captain Hernandez, like that's where we that's where we first saw her was in um home. Oh, um I don't remember. Right. So <laughs> just going back to read from the first part where, you know, he's talking about how he's out, he doesn't want to be a part of it anymore. Um, you know, and how the guy is like, uh, Starfleet can't know what we're doing. Um, you know, that kind of thing. In the second part, Archer's yelling at Reed and He's threatening to pass the information on to Starfleet. And he's like, is that what you want? It was so hammy, that performance. Because he, he says it twice and he gets up in his face. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they were intentionally making every exchange between Archer and Malcolm to be... It was like direct. we brought in a guest director from the days of our lives. Well, and then also at the beginning of the episode, too, there was a, there was a zoom in on Captain Hernandez um, as she's calling to, uh, to trip in engineering. And then there's a zoom in on Trip as he's responding to her. Like it was just this, you know, the camera was slowly zooming in on her and and on him. And it was just, it was a very strange thing. Well, it's like an epic zoom where they came in from the outside the ship through right. the bridge bulkhead and then directly into her face. And she says, you know, Captain to Trip, come in. Yeah. Or whatever she says. And then again, it started from the bridge and went down the corridor and into the turbo lift and down the ladder and into the engineering and finally zoomed in on Trip's face. I was like, man, this is. Vertigo. This is an expensive phone call. (laughs) (laughs) They keep cutting back and forth to Phlox, who is, you know, they're torturing him, but he still is managing, you know, he's kind of colluding with the other uh, Klingon doctor guy. And they're kind of letting, of course, this this behavior of Klingons where if you fail, it's a dishonor and they immediately execute you for failing. And this is kind of evidence that Klingons really should have just never made it into space. In terms of science, the way science works is the only way we learn is by experimentation. And through experimentation, you're going to fail every mm-hmm. time. And that's that's actually how you get better at stuff. And so they would have never – if they just kill people who fail them all the time, they, first of all, they'd run out of people. you know, Unless they're an infallible race, which they aren't obviously. But science doesn't progress without failure. In fact, right. you'll hear all these top scientist guys saying that for some reason we've made it such that in our society failure is, is looked at as bad. Right. And Klingons would have never – they would have never discovered uh, fire, if, if, much less warp drive if they weren't – you know what I mean? If they weren't failing all the time. And mm-hmm. so this idea that they're just executing scientists whenever they don't deliver on a, on a specific deadline. I mean they should do that with game uh, programmers and makers where if they don't because they always <laughs> – But in terms of just regular scientists, 
they wouldn't just kill people, right? It's like, well, he was our best mind, and you just killed him because he didn't make a deadline. So what would you like for us to do now? Right. <laughs> he left no notes. He was the Tesla. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just another – more evidence that it's – this is not a, the, my idea that Klingons it, – it's sort of an incompatible race to be traveling the stars because of the way that they look at life. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but they're entertaining characters – you know, nonetheless. Right. So Flox yeah. finds the cure and it's sort of this, this, they're cutting back and forth between a battle because the general wants to sanitize the colony that's creating the vaccine. And there's this back and forth. I, I don't know. I kind of got bored with it. I was like, I used to understand what you're doing, but it was just, I don't know. Yeah, there was, right. Yeah, there was a little bit too much back and forth, but I, I thought for sure you would be excited that Dr. Flox was saving the day. It was great. I liked that he, he wasn't just sort of being a cheerful Dr. Flox all the time. You know, right. he's my favorite character, but I do like that they gave him some gravitas in the in this episode. Yeah. And then the the episode ends. Yep. So the whole point of the episode was just to explain why Klingons look the way they do in the original series. And I feel like it knocked it out of the park. I feel like it, it was it was a great episode as far as actually explaining that, and it still was a pretty good Enterprise episode overall. It did a great job explaining that one little scene in the TOS episode. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. Finally, everybody can stop bitching about it. Yeah. Um, I did like that at the end, uh, Reed cut Harris off in the communique. And I think it would have been funny if Harris just kept calling him. It was weird to me that they, they didn't make him go off to duty after that phone call, that he just went to bed after that. That was a strange, I would not be able to just, after I had just basically severed my ties with this all-knowing, all-powerful Section 31. And it's like, now I'm going to read Jurassic Park, (laughs) you know? Right, right. I felt like he should go. It would have been better if he went in and and went on the bridge reporting for duty, sir, you know? Right. It would have just hammered home even more where his loyalties lied. Yeah, it would have punctuated the the sentiment of what he was trying to do. Yeah, and to to actually take it one step further, for Archer to say, uh, read, report to the bridge, you know? And he said, like, I have to go duty calls or my, my captain is calling or something like that. Yeah. My, my captain needs me or something. I mean, not a deal breaker. It's not like, you know, and that ruined the entire episode, but it would have been nice to have had to have that driven home that much more since, you know, we didn't get any resolution on the trip into Paul and Hoshi thing. Right. I would have liked there would be some, some continuing residual stuff with the mind meld. I thought that was an interesting thing to explore. They kind of dropped it. I guess. And yeah. this whole white void that they go into that they apparently can communicate over space and time. Mm-hmm. Cause I got the impression right. that they were not imagining the other person that they were actually in that room. Together. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially yeah. with that last awkward conversation, you know, she's like trouble sleeping and he's like, no, why are you? And she's like, no, not at all. Just yeah. Why dance around that? You? If you both know that you were both there. Well, I, I feel like because either way, one of them would tease the other about it. Like if it wasn't, if it wasn't, both sided, you know, but it took one of them to to swallow their pride and actually say like, hey, I had this weird little thing where we were in a white room together and you were talking like you didn't expect me to be there. And I definitely wasn't expecting you to be there. It also made it seem like that she summons him. That that's where right? she, she like that. She goes there often to meditate. But yeah, he seemed like he was there for the first time. So did she summon his consciousness, whether consciously or unconsciously? 
on purpose or not on purpose. I love the, got the concept that somehow they're connected, but mm-hmm. they, they drop it. And the whole Hoshi thing, they drop that. But yeah. would you consider this a genuine Star Trek episode? Right? I don't know. I, I'm kind of leaning not because I just, I'm, I'm not finding the sci-fi in it. Um, the sci-fi, you know, kind of like the last episode, the sci-fi that's important to the plot. You know, there, there's the whole genetic engineering thing, but, like, we can't do it to this extreme, but we're already doing that. And, like I said, the Vulcan mind meld was just regression therapy, so I I don't feel like there was anything in this episode that was inherently sci-fi to the plot. So I thought that the, the transfer of trip was the most science fiction. Yeah, but we've seen that before between two planes. You know, like, they haven't had the warp field around them, obviously, but the warp field didn't do anything other than create the tension that turbulence would cause or a mountain coming towards them or something. I suppose, but I, it's not just the fact that he was going from one place to another, but all of the lead up and aftermath of it. I felt like that was enough. That was science fiction-y. I mean, it, I didn't know that you could do that, that you could be outside of a ship going at, at warp. They maybe, maybe they could have explored it a little bit more and not just have it be, oh, we're going to just we're going to put you on a line. You're going to zip line over the other one. But I, I felt like that was enough for me to be enough of science fiction where they were saying, oh, you can do this. You can tether two, two ships together somehow while they're going at warp. And again, it was kind of clunky. I, I said that before, but that doesn't make it not science fiction for me. And I thought it was novel. I'd never seen it before. Right. And they never do it again because it was horrible. But um... <laughs> well, it just seems like a lot of business for nothing. And I will say the the overarching idea that you had these the, the genetic stuff. We can't do genetics like that now. That's fair. Yeah. It wasn't just that. It was the fact that they were they had this whole mythology that they were addressing with it. I felt like that felt very science fiction to me. What do you mean? The fact that it wasn't just a it wasn't self-contained in this episode that they were addressing a grander mythology of why do Klingons not have these particular Klingons not have ridges. Mm. And they created a whole separate species that I guess they never come back to, but they could have. I guess they do later in the 1960s. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Like, they, they address it in this episode, and then they don't bring back the original series Klingons in any of the remaining episodes. Although it is conceivable they would have if they had three more years. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so maybe we're giving them the benefit of the doubt, but it seems like there is a lot of material there to, right. to expand on. So, but no, I, 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 I'll concede on that. Like the fact that they were changing their genetic make, genetic makeup in a way where their cranial ridges were dissolving right in front of us. But like it also wasn't even that growing on humans. Yeah, right. Would have taken some balls to give him to ke- let Archer keep his ridges the whole rest of the show. Yeah, major balls. Oh, for sure. That they didn't yeah. have. But they really weren't that good either. You know, they said he looks intimidating, and I was like, you, you don't. Like you look like a it looks like you slept on cosplay. Yeah. Yeah, but no, you're right. Like to to actually change your appearance genetically. All right, I'll concede on that. Yeah, so and I think that the the, ob- the to me the obvious ethical dilemma was with flocks and whether or not he should sacrifice his life. Oh, it came up repeatedly. Like, it, was it? Yeah, was it? Was it worth? You know, who do you knowingly sacrifice a single life to save millions? You know, right. I mean, it's the right. it's the trolley question all the time. This is this is a yes yes for me. Yeah, I'm with you. Yes, yes. Sort of yes, 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 yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see what we're watching next. Okay. Star Trek, The Voyager, Random Thoughts. Nope. Did not order. Star Trek, Voyager, 
The Voyager, Season 4, Episode 10, Random Thoughts. Voyager visits a planet with telepathic... Huh? Voyager visits a planet with a telepathic race that outlaws negative thoughts. Hmm. And Bellana is charged with releasing an angry thought. This sounds like a Sliders episode. Right? Well, and, yeah. And, again, it's one of those things where, like, we are literally just passing through. Like, yeah. why just Why do you have to keep warp us? Warp 10. Yeah. Right? Like, know. let's... It, yeah. Oh, we had an angry thought? Sorry about that. Like, computer, one to beam up. Peace. <laughs> They're fixed. <laughs> right? <laughs> Who's thinking things right now? Who's thinking bad thoughts? <laughs> no more bad thoughts. Was it you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Just one one little episode away from Year of Hell. Right? Damn it. I know. Oh, well. Maybe, maybe in the next 12 years. Well, definitely in the next 12 years. <laughs> Hopefully sooner, though. Look at our integrity, everybody. We could have easily lied to you and said, no, we landed legitimately on Year of Hell, but we didn't. We didn't. The gen- to the detriment of everybody. Well, and I feel, yeah, and I feel like this has happened, like, again, this goes back to the random generator being sentient, because I feel like more often than not, we are hitting just next to great episodes. <laughs> yeah, but we've gotten a good, some good ones, though. And instead so we're we getting gotta, you know, an episode about the cornfield. <laughs> right. Well, let's go watch it. Yeah, I've been Jonathan. And I've been Paul, and this has been The Measure of an Episode, as you know.